And so, uh, oh yeah, you're right. I have to dismiss kids, don't I? Hey, kids, thanks for hanging out with us. Um, but you're going to have so much more fun hanging out at Bible Adventures. So go out there, enjoy, and uh, tell us what you learned when you come back, okay? All right, so while they're heading out, I invite you to open up your Bibles to Psalm 32, page 386. Duncan's going to be reading for us. And keep those Bibles open afterwards, please. So Psalm Good morning. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your, hands, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Selah. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity, and I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Keep those Bibles open. Um, Before we dig into this scripture, I want to remind us kind of where we've been for the last couple weeks. We're in the Psalms right now. We're going to stay there for the the rest of the summer. Um, And while we're kind of hitting the high points, Pastor Chris opened up the last three weeks by telling us about the three overarching themes that are found in the Psalms. And again, those themes are orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. And just a reminder again, seasons of orientation and psalms that deal with that have to do with times of well-being that bring about gratitude for God's blessings. These psalms usually talk about joy and delight in God's goodness and his presence. Whereas seasons of disorientation deal with the difficult times of of hurt, frustration, um, anger, loss, death, suffering. These cause feelings of of despair and frustration and and cause us to reach into the raw depths of what it means to be human. Seasons of reorientation and psalms that deal with seasons of reorientation talk about the transition that comes when joy breaks in through that despair. And it's not an easy transition. It's not an easy transformation. But these psalms speak boldly of a new gift from God, a new reality They speak boldly about our sovereign God who brings humanity into a new situation. And this morning, Psalm 32 is a psalm of reorientation. But we're going to be spending the next few weeks digging into uh, the different types of genres that are available to us in the psalms. We'll keep talking about orientation, disorientation, reorientation. But now we're going to look one step further into different genres in the psalms. Now, genres in literature are, are... 
They're across all types of literature, and it's just, it's a type of literature. So it's like a biography, um, a novel, um, a grocery list. And, and the reason why it's important to understand the, the type of genre we're talking about, because it helps us interpret and apply the text, right? I'm getting married in, in two weeks, and so it, it would be very different. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, so if I start floating away, someone come grab my ankle and bring me back down. Um, <clears throat> it would be very different for me if, if, if my uh, soon-to-be wife, Megan, handed me um, a list of words and said, hey, can you go to the store and take care of this? And I came back two hours later and says, you know, that list was great. The, the plot development, you know, the, char- the characters, the twists, that was just so great. And she's like, what are you talking about? That would be me applying the wrong understanding of a genre to the grocery list that she's intending for me to go buy from the store. So understanding what genre we're dealing with helps us interpret the text that we're dealing with and therefore apply it correctly. And so that's why it's important to understand the different genres in Scripture. And so the first genre we're going to be de- uh, digging into for the next few weeks, is wisdom psalms. Now, these psalms, as with other wisdom literature in the Bible, like Job, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, they, they set before the, the listener, the reader, um, a dichotomy. On the one hand, there's those who are wicked and cursed by God in the way they live. And on the other hand, there are those that are righteous and living with God in the right way. And, and you get to see how their life turns out too. And so it's by presenting this contrast that the reader is instructed. And so that's why it's wisdom literature. literature. It's, it's, it's for instruction. It's for the congregation to learn. So this morning, as we're digging into Psalm 32, the thing I want you to, to think about and pull out that David is trying to pull out for us is about sin and confession and forgiveness. And something I want you guys to, to think about and hold on to as we dig into it is this. Unconfessed sin, hiding your sin, leaves you alone in the fight. But confessing it allows us to receive the forgiveness that is ours and begin to live rightly. Confession allows God to carry away our transgressions, to cover over our sins, erase the count of our iniquity. But in order to experience the fullness of forgiveness, we've got to come clean with our failures. Okay? So let's dig in together. This is a psalm of David. And he opens the psalm by constructing a psalm for us. There's other psalms that we can read that deal with confession and forgiveness and stuff like that. And and this is slightly different because it's not written by a young David. This isn't David expressing some raw emotion right after some sin or experience of it. This is a David who's experienced. He He has experience in his life with unconfessed sin and with dealing with that. And he's experienced in his life with forgiveness and the freedom that follows from that. And he is reflecting back on, on his life and the things he's learned. And he's taking his, his experience and his personal revelation that he's had in, in the private worship time with him and God. And he's composing a thoughtful account And presenting it to the assembly, his worshiping congregation, not only for instruction for them, but also so that they can learn from it and utilize it in public worship. David is writing a sermon. 
and we have it written down for us, and he preaches it to his congregation to instruct them. And so it's Psalm 32 of David, a masculine, for instruction. It opens up with rejoicing. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in, in who in and in whose spirit is no deceit. I imagine David like a, like, like a southern preacher. Maybe this is just me, but he, he opens up and he's like, it is so awesome to be forgiven, am I right? Maybe there's a man out there who has sinned and yet the Lord forgave him anyways. If that happened, we'd call that guy blessed, right? Can I get an amen? And everyone all shouts and, oh, hey, you guys are getting a little bit. You know? <laughs> I was about to say, the punchline was not like here though, because, you know, um, no, but you guys are, are awake this morning. This is good. But he starts by talking about in general terms, blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. And then he brings it down into a personal place, right? And he's not talking about hypothetical sin. He's not talking about supposed forgiveness. He's speaking from a place of personal experience. So verse three, when I kept silent, when David kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. When David hid his sin, his body decayed. His unconfessed sin started rotting away inside of him. Verse 5. Then David realizes that his way of dealing with sin isn't working. So he turns to God. Then... I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. So, as he's sharing his personal experience with the congregation, this is what I did. He doesn't just talk about his personal experience, but he realizes he's speaking to an audience, and so he broadens it up again. He says, your sin might be different than my sin, so we're going to talk about all sin. And so he uses three words for sin here. And those three words, um, if you have the note-taking variety, write them down or underline them in your Bible, because this is big. The three words for sin are sin, iniquity, transgression. It's there in verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord. Now, sin, the, word, the Hebrew word that they translate into sin, means an act that misses the mark. Maybe intentionally misses God's will. His express, his revealed will. Whereas iniquity would be referring to a crooked act that intends to do wrong. So the first one just misses the mark. The second one says, I know where the mark is and I'm choosing that way. Whereas transgression is just more broad term for rebellion or disloyalty. So the point isn't that David's saying, if, you, if your sin falls in one of these three categories, go ahead and confess it. He says, no matter what your sin is, the whole type of sin, bring it to God. Confess it. And so therefore, he also uses three words for confession. And the three words are acknowledged, did not cover and confess. Again, this is verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. Acknowledge means to accept or admit truth, right? Where we go, yep, this exists. This happened. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. You're not telling God something he doesn't know already. And did not cover up my iniquity. This will make sense. We're revealing. 
We're letting down our defenses. We're making known what we had previously been hiding. I did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Now, the word confess, we usually have a connotation in our mind, especially here in the church as Christians, of what confession is. And it usually means reluctance or shame, right? We come to someone and our head's hung a little bit. I got to confess something to you. But that's not necessarily what this word is getting at. We also talk about, think about it this way. The word means to agree or declare. Think about how we confess our faith together. That's what David is getting at. We agree with the fact that, yeah, this is here. But it's interesting because the root, the, the Hebrew roots that we get confessed from, we also get praise from. And so David here is talking about, hey, when we admit what God already knows is happening here and our hearts line up with what God is saying about us, our hearts get in line with him and it leads us to praise. That's why so many psalms lament, turn to praise at the end because by finally uncovering ourselves and opening ourselves up to God, we get to be brought close to him again. And we get to be led in praise here. And so it says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. No penitence necessary. No hoops to jump through. Just forgiveness. Verse 6. Therefore, because of that amazing truth of the forgiveness that we have, therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach him. Therefore, because our God is a good God, let us run to him as our refuge. And we can trust that God is faithful and just and will forgive us when we approach him. We can trust that he'll protect us in our vulnerability. So let's start talking about protection. And David lists, again, three ways that God protects us. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. This is verse 7. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble. And you will surround me with songs of deliverance. Hiding place. It's interesting to me that the first sin that was committed by Adam and Eve, in their sin, they ran and hid from God, thinking that they had to be made right with each other and with themselves before they could approach God. And we spend a lot of time doing this too, thinking that we have to be made right with each other and get ourselves right, and then we can approach God. And when we get there, we realize we haven't hid it yet. And so that's where the head hanging, the reluctance comes in. But God is saying, no, let me be your hiding place. David is saying, let God be the place that we run to. Let God be the place that we hide in because we know that he's a safe hiding place because he protects us. So when we're feeling weak and vulnerable, we can run and hide in him because he will protect us from trouble. And not only will he protect us, but he surrounds us. So often we feel surrounded by the insurmountable weight of our sin, especially when we separate ourselves from God and we're trying to carry it on our own. But when we run and hide to God, he surrounds us with songs, songs of deliverance. Now, verse 8 is where the tone changes a little bit. 
And we know that it's no longer David speaking because the pronouns of who is speaking and to whom they're speaking in the Hebrew suggest to us that this is a word from God. So this is David's kairos moment. He's been reflecting on what God's been doing, and all of a sudden, God speaks some truth to him. He's speaking promises to David. So David writes them down, and we get to listen. And so again, there's three promises. This is verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Three promises. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. This reminds me of of, uh, Proverbs 22. I had to look it up. But it's Proverbs 22. It's a familiar one that says, Parents, teach your children in the way that they should go so that when they grow, they will not stray from that path. The image, the promise that God is giving us is, is the promise of a parent teaching a child or a teacher guiding his students. But it's not just the teacher that we have. He says, I will counsel you. We have a counselor. What do counselors do in our lives? They sit with us. They enter into our brokenness. And they bear the weight of our hearts with us. And that is a promise from God. Right here, he's saying, I will counsel you. I will bear the weight of your heart with you. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. My Bible says, I will counsel you and watch over you. And that's the third promise. God is watching us with his loving eye. And I I just feel like the kid that says, Daddy, look at me. Mommy, watch. You remember that? Or maybe you have kids around and you get to see that. Just the joy that children get when, when, look at me, look what I can do. You know, and the fact that they want that parent or that older brother or the cousin or someone to to just take delight in who they are right now and what they're doing. But also at the same time, they're watching over them in, in, in a protecting way. And so there's safety and security there. These three promises are the same promises that God gives us now. He teaches and instructs us through his word, but also through the person of Jesus Christ who came to be the living example for us of what humanity is supposed to be. He came, John 10.10 says, he came to give life and life to the full. He says, come, follow me. You're burdened, but let, let me take your burden and you take my yoke upon you, which is easy and light so that you can be yoked up next to me and walk next to me and learn from me. Come, follow me. God teaches and instructs us in that way, and and he counsels us in our spirit with his Holy Spirit, sitting in our brokenness and bearing the weight of our hearts and our our worries and our, our desires. And as our Heavenly Father, he's always watching over us. Psalm 121 says that you always watch my coming and my going both now and forevermore. Daddy, look at me. Now continues in verse 9. And we're not, sure, we're not sure if this is the continuation of maybe God's word to David, but um, the Hebrew seems to suggest that this is David reflecting on the promises God has given him, and now he's turning and instructing the assembly because he's speaking to multiple people here. And so this is David going, yeah, based on those promises we've received, here's how to live, because this is a wisdom psalm. And so he's, he's, he's laying this out, and he says, Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Don't be a puppet. Be a player. 
Don't be like an unthinking animal that has to be jerked with by its head on which way to go or, or just mindlessly, re- mindlessly react out of fear because, oh, what's that noise? Or, oh, there's that thing over there. Don't be like that. Why shouldn't you be like that? Well, he says the people that act like that in the very next verse, he calls them wicked. This is verse 10. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts him. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds those who trust him. Trust. That's the big ticket word, isn't it? When we put our trust in ourself or in something that isn't God, not only do we get to see the end of that thing, but we shut out God. Here's why. When I put my trust in myself, what I'm saying to God is, nope, God, I got this. My strength is going to hold on to this right now. And it doesn't take long to find out how long my strength lasts. Or, nope, God, I got this. My savings account is where I'm putting my trust. This is what's going to get me through, and then it's gone. Nope, God, I got this. I'm putting my trust in, in my kids and so that they can live the life that I didn't get to live, and I can live through them. And pretty soon... They're not like the horse or mule that just does what we want them to do and it doesn't end up the way we want it to. And the thing we've put our trust in, we reach the end of it and it's no longer to sustain us or sustain our trust and the bottom falls out. But when we put our trust in God, when we trust God with our sin, with our weakness, with our hurt, with our lives, we get to realize that his love doesn't have an end because it fully surrounds us and it never fails. But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. David ends his instructional psalm, this sermon, verse 11, with this final encouragement to his congregation on how they should respond to this good God. And it's another set of three. He says, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Rejoice. Let the joy bubble up in you. See this forgiveness we've been given that we don't deserve? Let that just come out and declare it. Exclaim it. Rejoice. But not only talk about it or experience it for yourself. Sit in it. Be glad. Be in the presence of this joy. Be in the presence of this Father who has given us the reason for this joy. And you know what that turns you into? It means that you're no longer a sinner. You're no longer downcast. You're no longer alone. You are righteous. Rejoice and be glad, you righteous. You've been made right with God. And that leads us to sing. Don't just think about it. Don't just sit in it, but share it with someone else. Be led to song, and by me singing, you get to sing, and by you singing, we get to sing. And now, sing all you who are upright in heart. This is something that we bring to the congregation. This is not a solo thing. This is something we do in community, and it brings us to sing. And singing is, we're able to declare the truths about this God that has given us these gifts. We're able to proclaim to each other the joy we have, and it raises up in us song. And out of that, we get to praise our Father and worship Him and connect with Him as a family. 
pretty good sermon from David, don't you think? I mean, that guy, he had some chops, I think. The main things I think are important for us to pull out this morning are confession and forgiveness. David knows what it's like to have unconfessed sin, to try and go it alone. But he isn't just talking about private confession, right? It's not just me and God. He's taking this private experience and he does this confession within the hearing of a congregation, right? He comes before, before them and shares with them. So not only does he get the experience of forgiveness once he opens his heart to God, he also gets the benefits of public confession. He goes from God to his worshiping community. And this is the direction. This is what I experience with God, and I take it to the family. Because again, we were talking earlier about we think we have to get right with ourselves and with each other, and then we go to God because we've proved ourselves to him, but that's the backwards way of doing it. God says, no, come to me, all you who are weary. I have the water of life. And then out of that place of the private confession, we can go to then be made right with the other people because it's him in us working through us. It's that direction that David is modeling from us, from God to our community. It becomes both instructive and encouraging to the community. They get to learn from David and from his experience. But it's also supportive to him as the community surrounds him with songs of deliverance. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. They get to join arms with him as he opens up himself to them in confession and stand with him in support as God is able to come in and heal. Why is this so hard for us? Ever think about that? I know I'm not the only one that cringes at the idea of public confession. Right? The idea of publicly confessing our sin. Why is that so hard? Well, for one, we have this fierce independent streak, right? What I do is my business and is no concern of yours. Yeah, that's, that's okay. If that's good for you, that's okay with me, as long as you equally tolerate what's good for me. I don't want to know about it. Just put a smile on. But see, this way of living, there's a big problem with this way of living, right? Because we're isolating ourselves and saying, yeah, don't go into my life. I don't, I don't want to tell you the mushy details of my life. And you know what? Don't tell me about your life either. We, we live this, this superficial relationship that is all surface, all safe and innocuous. The problem with surface-level relationships is we're really good at making fake surfaces, aren't we? Because we have this, this sense of perfectionism, not just in the church, in society, right? We have our own personal sense of failure with the shoulds or ought-tos we think we have. But instead of confessing our weakness and our need to the family around us that might be able to support us and draw next to us, we cover it over and we hide behind this facade of seeming success, seeming happiness, seeming control. David knew about control. 
He knew what that was like. When he kept control of his sin and guilt, his body wasted away. He spent so much time and effort and energy hiding it and dealing with it on his own that his energy was sapped. Anyone else feel like sometimes you just get so tired trying to seem normal? It's just so tiring being around people and putting on that brave face. But for David, when he confessed, forgiveness was his. Verse 1 opens with three words about forgiveness, and and I'm coming back to it at the end because I think it's important. The three words for forgiveness are carry, cover, and count. Because we see the need for confession because we can't hold it on our own. And we know that as soon as we confess our sins, as soon as we actually open ourselves up to God and cooperate with what he's doing, then we're able to receive the forgiveness that's already ours. Because our God's a good God. He's not going to force himself on us. If we want to hide ourselves from him and turn our backs, he'll let us. And sometimes he says, okay, I'm here. I'm waiting for you to turn back to me. And sometimes he puts the weight of his hand on us so we feel it, like David talks about here, so that we're like, okay, I really need to turn back to you. But we can't receive the forgiveness he's trying to give us if we're closing ourselves off to him because he'll let us do that. But when we open up ourselves to receive from God, the forgiveness is ours. And so because God forgives us in that way, we need to learn how to forgive others. And so verse 1, let's read together. Verse 1, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, whose transgressions are forgiven. The Hebrew word for forgiven right here literally means to carry something for someone. When you forgive someone, you're saying, I will carry the consequence of the wrong you've done so that you don't have to and you can go free. When God forgives us, he carries the weight of our guilt and our sin because we literally cannot carry it on our own. There's none of this tough love. There's none of this, you've got to learn how to deal with that. No, let me carry this for you. Let me take on the consequences of your wrong so that you don't have to carry it. Blessed is the one whose sins are covered. You know, the irony here is that when David covered up his sins, his body wasted away. When we have poison in our lives that we don't want people to see and we cover it over, sometimes I feel like we're afraid to open it up again because we're afraid how far it's gone. Unforgiveness is like that, I feel. You hold on to it and you don't talk about it and you move past it and you ignore it and then the next time something gets brought up again, oh, it's so much bigger and your anger is so much deeper and there's so much pain and hurt and it's more and how did this get so big? Well, it's because we covered it up and we didn't let God heal it. But the irony is that when we uncover our sin, God covers it for us. Because you know, when we hurt each other, 
Imagine, imagine sinning against your brother and there's, there's mutual hurt. I might hurt you, but by hurting you, I'm hurting myself too. And so we're both hurt. And so your reaction might be to, the natural reaction is back away and, and cover my own hurt, my own wound. And, you know, oh God, how could they have done this to me? I'm so hurt right now. And when we sin against God, the same thing is we're lashing out to hurt him, but we hurt ourselves too. But God, instead of backing away and tending to his own wounds, he comes to us and covers over our wounds and heals our wounds and says, I'm hiding this from my sight so it doesn't come between us and I'll heal it for you. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are carried, whose sins are covered over. Blessed is the one whose sin, whose iniquity the Lord does not count against them. We were talking about having that list of things, the unforgiveness. It's, pretty, it's gotten easier for me to forgive people, I feel. Um, it's really hard to forget, though. And so I can forgive someone as many times as you want, but as soon as you wrong me again, you haven't just wronged me once. You've wronged me 17 times because I remember all those last times. And I'm still holding on to that. Can you imagine how long the list would be if God kept the list of the ways we've wronged him? Talk about a reason to go to him with your head hung. Talk about a reason for shame and reluctance. But the joy is that God says he does not count our sins against us. He gets rid of that count. In your file, underneath debts owed, there's a big red stamp that says paid. How amazing would it be if our communities lived this way? Imagine, imagine the closeness and the support that we would have if we regularly confessed to our spiritual family, to each other. Imagine the freedom we would feel if we regularly practiced the, the full, rich forgiveness that we have in God. Imagine how much closer our families would be if instead of keeping count, we would go to them and cover their hurt. I was talking the other day with a friend about family tension and how they always get on each other's nerves. And it doesn't matter. It's a small thing and it sets them off. Anyone ever feel that way? You have that one family member where it's like, it does not matter what you say right now because I am this close to going off on you because every time you just annoy me so much. And how easy it is to just, ah, oh, they hurt me so much every time they talk about that. And we were reflecting on but how amazing is it, though, that we are hurt, yes, and then we open up to God and he covers over our hurt and he heals our hurt. And just the burden that's lifted from that and then that frees us up to have the ability to go and then cover over their hurt. No, no, I know. I know I'm hurt right now, too. But God's got my hurt. He's healing me. Let me come to you and cover over this sin between us. Cover, let me heal your wound. Let, let, me, let me carry that weight for you because God's holding my huge burden of sin. I was going to God and he said he got rid of his list. So those things I've been holding on to on this list here in my pocket, I'm, I'm going to get rid of it. Imagine the freedom and 
the ways that we could actually connect to each other, the ways we could actually work together. Imagine Imagine the, the way we could tell people who haven't heard about Jesus about the hope we have in Jesus if we actually clinged to that hope. How amazing that would be. Instead of clinging to my own hurt, instead of clinging to the own chip on my shoulder, instead of clinging to my strength that I think is going to make it. What if I cling to Jesus? So for us today... We're going to have a moment later in the, ser- in the service to, to confess together. It's a, it's a time that we do every week where we, we confess, and the words are written by someone else, and they're not your words, and so they might feel a little awkward, but the idea is that it's not just your individual sin, that we as a community, we confess and bear the weight of each other's sins. Not because, like, like it's not like my apartment building where my water bill reflects my neighbor and so I'm going to knock on his door and stop taking such long showers because it's making my bill go up. It's not this burden for us. It's we're in it together. We get to bear each other's burdens and help each other. We get to reflect and, and live in the joy that God has given us and rejoice and cause each other to sing and be lifted up in heart. And so when we confess together, it's a time for us to connect and open up our hearts again to God and let him heal us and and redeem us and restore us and give us the forgiveness that's already ours. But where is a place in your life right now that you have been hiding or covering over? What is something that you have been clutching to instead of letting God deal with? We're going to have a song in a second that, that is a, a time where we do a couple things together and we, we take an offering together and there's an offering of praise. But it's also a time for us to connect and reflect with God. Who is someone or where is someone that you've been holding on to unforgiveness? Who is someone that really needs you to drop your hurt and go and heal their hurt and, and extend that forgiveness that we have been so freely been given? Maybe you write it down on the Kairos card. Maybe you share it with someone else. But we're going to be doing this as a community today. And in the same way that David constructed this wisdom psalm to instruct his congregation and teach them about confession and forgiveness, we get to be taught every week about confession and forgiveness. We say it in the Lord's Prayer. We confess together. So let's take this morning to be reminded Let's take this morning to listen to the words of God and see what he is stirring up and what he is pointing to and where where his hand is heavy on us and saying, give it to me. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are our father who is always watching over us and protecting us. We thank you for the promise that you send your counselor to us in the Holy Spirit to not only sit with us and hold our hearts, but to work through us and in us to reach out to those around us. And we thank you for the teacher and the guide that we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who not only came to show us how to live, but came to pay the price for us on the cross. Thank you for the cross.
In your holy and precious name.